The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes like a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has in order to buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value sells everything that he has in order to buy it. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that's thrown into the sea that gathers in all different types of fish. Many will come from the east and from the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. All of that comes from two chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And I could go on. The Gospel of Matthew is loaded with references to God's kingdom. With this kingdom of heaven that comes from heaven to earth. The kingdom starts small and it grows large. The kingdom is of precious value that is worth everything that we have. The kingdom includes people from every tongue and tribe and language and nation. But how does God's kingdom come? How does this kingdom spread? How does this kingdom grow? And what is our responsibility as Christians in bringing the kingdom? That's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at the second request of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to see the main point here that God's kingdom comes through the prayers and the preaching of God's people. God's kingdom comes through the prayers and the preaching of God's people. And to see this, we're just going to ask three questions. First is, what is the kingdom of God? The second is, how does God's kingdom come? And then third, how can we pray for God's kingdom to come? What's the kingdom of God? How does it come? And how can we pray for it to come? So first, let's, let's ask our first question here. What is the kingdom of God? This is a huge topic. Books have been written on this topic. PhDs have been done on this topic. I remember when I was a seminarian, a first-year seminarian, and I was talking to one of my professors, and I said, you know, I think for my paper I'm going to write on the kingdom of God. And he looked at yeah, you'll want to narrow that down a little bit because otherwise that's going to be a 2,000 page paper, right? Entire subjects have been taught on the kingdom of God. It's a huge topic and yet it is a topic that Christians need to know how to answer. When someone comes and says, wait, we're supposed to pray for the kingdom, what is the kingdom of God? I read some of Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew earlier about the kingdom's value, about its expansion, about its citizens and its makeup, but there's more that we can see. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable of different types of soils to show who are the people who are in the kingdom of God. And what we see is the sort of people that are in the kingdom of God are those who receive the word of God and it takes root in their hearts through faith. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to those who confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts Jesus as the king. Right? That's Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom, the entry to the kingdom to confessors. And in Matthew 18, we see that we need to recognize our need in humility. Jesus takes a child and he says, unless you humble yourself like one of these children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And that's one of the reasons why the righteous people, the people who think they're righteous, the Pharisees who don't think they need to humble themselves, they wouldn't get into the kingdom of God. Tax collectors and prostitutes would get in before them because they recognize their need for God's grace. So what is God's kingdom? Put simply, God's kingdom is God's rule, expanding through his people throughout the entire creation. God's kingdom is God's rule, expanding through his people throughout his entire creation. We become part of God's kingdom through faith. We're not born into it naturally. Right? That's the whole point of Jesus' parable. He says, there's going to be many who come from the east and the west who aren't part of Israel, but they're going to have a seat at the table of the kingdom because it's not ethnicity. We're not born into it. We are born again into it by faith in Christ. We become part of God's kingdom through faith, and God rules his people who submit everything in them to God. We can't keep a section of our own hearts to ourselves. God's kingdom demands all of us. We are either in God's kingdom or we are not in God's kingdom. And Jesus says that God's kingdom is already here. So if you turn back a little bit in your Bibles to Matthew 4, the first words that Jesus says on public record, his first sermon is, Repent for the kingdom of God and and yet we also are to pray that God's kingdom would come. It is here, but it is not yet fully here. It's not here as it will one day fully be. It's like adding a drop of food coloring to a cup of water. Have any of you kids ever done that as an experiment with school where you add just a little drop of food coloring to a cup of water? What happens is that, that drop of food coloring starts off and it's just right there. And so you have this big old cup of clear water and just a little drop of maybe red or maybe blue. But what's going to happen if you give it enough time? Eventually the food coloring will spread and it will color the entire cup of water. That's the way the kingdom of God is like. It starts off small but it spreads and it will one day fill the whole of creation. And unlike the food coloring, which gets a little diluted and pale as it spreads, the kingdom of God doesn't get diluted. It grows in vibrance. It grows in color. Which leads to our next question. How does God's kingdom come? Well, in Matthew 6.10, Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God has a heavenly shape. So God's kingdom come, his will is done. Those, those are really one request. It's not we pray that God's kingdom come and his will be done. I think it's God's kingdom come, namely, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. It has a heavenly shape. 
We saw last week that by addressing our Father who is in heaven, in heaven, we are addressing our Father as King. Heaven is God's throne. It's where He rules from. And our desire is that God's heavenly kingdom would come down to this earth. And that as it is perfectly accomplished in heaven, no rebellion, no sin, no death, that one day it would be perfectly seen on earth as people give their whole lives to God and submit to His rule. As His will is perfectly done in heaven, it would be perfectly done in earth. As His rule in heaven is perfectly seen and recognized, His rule on earth would be perfectly seen and recognized. But, in order to rightly accomplish the bringing of God's kingdom, in order for us to know that God's kingdom is coming, we need to see that the heavenly nature of the kingdom shapes the way in which it comes on earth. The kingdom doesn't come like an earthly kingdom. How do earthly kingdoms come? They come through either military conquest or through political alliance. So either you fought your way for freedom or you fought your way to expand your boundaries or because you could fight, you had power, you had resources, you enter into alliances in order to come together and to form an expanded kingdom or a new kingdom. Earthly kingdoms come through might and political alliances. Jesus is speaking here in a time when the Roman Empire was ruling over God's covenant people. God's covenant people, Israel, wanted the kingdom to come. And they wanted Caesar, the king of the Roman Empire, overthrown. They wanted him done away with so that they could put their own king there and swap out one earthly kingdom for another earthly kingdom. How did Rome get in power? Well, if you look back, Israel was a kingdom by itself. It had itself expanded and spread through Saul and David and Solomon. Then what happened was the Assyrian and the kingdom of Babylon came and conquered Israel and expanded their kingdom, their empire. Then after that, the Persians came and they conquered Babylon. Then after that, the Macedonians came and they conquered the Persians. And then after that, the Romans came and they conquered the Macedonians. Right? Kingdoms came and come through conquest. But that's not how God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. At least not through military conquest. Not through physical conquest. And to treat it that way, like many of Jesus' hearers were treating it that way, to treat it like it's an earthly kingdom is to miss entirely the nature of what it is. It's to view heaven through earthly glasses. God's kingdom does not come through military conquest. It does not come through political power. It does not come through physical coercion. You can't force someone to be a kingdom citizen. Jesus taught this in John 18. Jesus stands before Pilate accused. And Pilate knows that his people are calling Jesus a king. And he's basically like, do something about this. And Jesus says... My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting 
that I might not have been delivered over to the Jews. My kingdom is not from this world. If I were focused on advancing my kingdom in worldly ways, then I wouldn't have been turned over and arrested to die. My servants would have fought for me. But that's not what my kingdom's like. My kingdom is a different type of kingdom. God's kingdom doesn't come through military violence. It doesn't come through physical coercion. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against sin and Satan. And that means that God's kingdom comes through spiritual means. And those are the means of prayer and proclamation. Prayer and preaching. We'll look at those one at a time. First, God's kingdom comes through prayer. This should be obvious. Why? Because Jesus teaches us to pray that God's kingdom would come. Which means our prayers have some way of bringing about God's kingdom. God is the one who brings his own kingdom. That's why we ask him to do it. Ultimately, we do not. And this should humble us. This should let us see our dependence upon God. The most powerful political ruler in the world cannot bring about God's kingdom. The pastor of the largest church in all of Africa, or in all of America, or all of Asia, cannot bring about God's kingdom by himself. Persecuted Christians in closed countries who have zero political power have the same ability to bring about God's kingdom as Christians who have all the political power. None <laughs> in and of themselves. We are utterly dependent upon God, which is why we pray. All of our efforts, all of our striving apart from God and His free grace cannot bring about God's kingdom and so we humble ourselves before God in prayer and we say, Lord, would you do it? Would you bring your kingdom to earth? Would your will be done here perfectly on earth as it is in heaven? God's kingdom comes through prayer. It doesn't only come through prayer. We are commanded to pray. But it also comes through proclamation or through preaching. We saw earlier that the way in which people get into the kingdom is by receiving the word and it taking root in their hearts. It's by confessing in Jesus. It's by humbling themselves to be able to see their need for God's grace. And this means that the good news of the kingdom must be spoken. It must be proclaimed. It is a message that is announced. We don't bring the kingdom. We announce the kingdom. Jesus even had that as an example. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom that we announce and proclaim. And this is going to affect the way that we seek to advance the kingdom. That we seek to spread the kingdom. That we seek to have the kingdom grow from a little to a lot. Kids, I'm going to speak to the kids here for a moment. Imagine that your parents gave you a job. Go and tell your siblings, 
who are in their room that it is time to dinner, time for dinner, and that they need to come to dinner. That's your job. You have a message to announce. Dinner's ready. Mom and dad say it's time to come. And so you go up to the room, and you see your kids are playing, your, your siblings are playing with toys. And so you look at that and say, hey, that looks fun. So you sit there and you play with toys as well. You get distracted and you never pass along the message. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to get in trouble. You didn't do your job. You had a message to announce and you didn't announce it. You got distracted by the toys and now all of y'all are in trouble. That's how we say it in America, all y'all. All of you guys are in trouble. Okay, so let's have a second scenario here. So you don't want to get distracted. So you go up there and you see my siblings are playing with toys. And so what do you do? You say, mom and dad said that it's time for dinner in your mind. I need to get my siblings to dinner. So what am I going to do? I'm going to wrestle them to the ground. I'm going to grab a rope. I'm going to tie it around their wrists. And I'm going to drag them to dinner. Right? I'm going to pull them down the stairs. Bunk, 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 bunk. And they're going to come to the kitchen table. Would you be doing your job, kids? Is that what your mom and dad asked you to do? Your siblings are at the dinner table. They're there. No. In fact, you would get in trouble. Why? Because the way that you accomplish your parents' task matters. Your parents gave you a job. Tell your siblings it's time for dinner. You don't beat them to get them to come. You don't fight them to get them to come. You announce it, and then they're responsible to be able to come or to not come. But you did your job faithfully by telling them to come. As Christians, we want to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see every area of this creation brought into submission to Christ. We want people to obey God's law. We want to see justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But we can't coerce people into obedience. Not genuine obedience. That begins with people's hearts being radically transformed by the preaching of the gospel. Because true submission to the king, true obedience to God, is not about the external forms. About praying at the right time of day, about wearing the right clothes, at eating the right sort of meals, making sure you read your Bible at the right time. External obedience to the king is about a heart that delights. That's the sort of obedience that God cares about. Not just external, but internal. The law of God, God written on our hearts and our hearts delighting in God's word. This comes through the preaching of the gospel. The word is preached. People receive it and it bears fruit in their hearts. And as the gospel is preached and God's people delight in God's word, this internal delight shows itself in every external obedience and submission to God's king. And this will affect everything that we do. If you are happily submitting to the king, then you will care both about proclamation 
and about treating people with compassion and kindness. Sometimes people talk like those things are at odds, but we are called to treat people with compassion, to help the hurting, and to preach the gospel. If you are joyfully obeying the king, you will care about ordering a just society of having rules that are fair and right and in line with God's word, and you will care about personal holiness and about the way that you trust and treasure God's word in your heart and say no to sin. If you are embracing the king with your whole heart, then you will embrace the king's people, your fellow citizens. You will love your brothers and sisters in Christ if you love the king. And you will want to see more people brought into the kingdom. But the order is important. Personal holiness does not bring the kingdom about. Just societies do not bring the kingdom about. Treating people with kindness and compassion will not bring them into the kingdom the kingdom comes through prayerful proclamation as the word goes forth and God's spirit takes it and opens up eyes to see the glory of Jesus and ears to trust. As God's people pray, God answers the requests of his people. As God's people speak, he uses his people's words to transfer people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And these transferred people are then transformed slowly, slowly from one degree of glory to the next into the image of Christ. And they will affect their families, their cities, their cultures, the people around them. It will bear fruit in how they treat people. But it comes through trusting and treasuring the good news of Jesus Christ with all of our whole heart. Church, our, our God is not efficient. At least not in the way that we think He ought to be. We simply want to get stuff done. Right? There's a whole genre of productivity books. Get stuff done. GTD. Do more better. Right? We want to get stuff done, and we often tell God, this is how you get stuff done, right? You want the kingdom to come? Bring it. Like, let's use all of our might, all of our power, all of our ability, get this kingdom started, God. But the reality is that God cares both for his kingdom to come, and he cares for his will to be done. And that means that God doesn't just care about the what. God also cares about the why and about the how. His will is not only for us to be one day with him in heaven. His will is for us to be holy and trusting him on earth. Our prayers are about aligning our wills with God's will. We submit our desires to God. And we pray not that we would have a more comfortable earthly life in our earthly kingdoms, but we pray that God would be glorified. And he's glorified both when his people are in power and loving those around through just societies, and when his people are in weakness and hiding and trusting and holding on to him. Both of those glorify God. He's glorified when we pray and we get our answer immediately. 
And he's glorified when we pray and we wait. And we wait. And we wait. And we fight for faith. And rather than grumbling, and rather than turning bitter in our hearts and shaking our fists against God, we say, your will be done. I trust you, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. God is glorified in that moment. His kingdom is coming in that moment as you are submitting your own desires to God's. God cares not only about the end goal, but also about the means to reaching it. And so we pray, and so we preach. Which leads to our final question. How can we pray for God's kingdom to come? How ought we to pray that God's kingdom would come? Before we get into any practices or forms, and we are going to get specific about some ways that we can pray, we have to start with desires and with longings. If you're going to pray for God's kingdom to come, genuinely, then you have to want God's kingdom to come. You have to long for God's kingdom to come. If you are satisfied with life on this earth as it is, then you're not going to pray that God's kingdom to come. You're going to pray for more of this world. (laughs) That's one reason why so many of us in this room don't spend time praying for other nations. We don't spend time praying for other churches. We don't spend time praying for those who don't know Jesus. It's because we're focused on our earthly kingdoms that we're building. And even though we're praying to God, our focus is all on earth. And it's not about Him bringing His kingdom to earth. But this earthly kingdom, this world in which we live in, it's shallow. And it will not last. Church, it is good for us to stop sometimes. Not all the time. Some of us can have dark personalities just naturally. But it's good for us to stop sometimes and to look at the brokenness of this world and really to reflect upon it. We have so many things that can distract us from seeing brokenness. We get on our phones and we open up social media and we see this terrible news story. And rather than stopping and thinking about it, and thinking about the wreckage and the pain that comes about every single day, there is more tragedy in one day to overwhelm any single one of us if we were to take it all at once. Rather than stopping and thinking about it, we keep scrolling, and eventually we're going to get to cat videos. And we're going to distract ourselves, and we'll laugh, and we'll feel good about ourselves, and we'll move on. And we've never let pain to sink into our hearts. When we feel the emptiness in our own hearts, we can fill it with Netflix. We can fill it with food. We can fill it with vacation. We we, we won't stop long enough for us to feel uncomfortably broken in this world. We have to have quick fixes that we get in usually three-minute intervals, if we can. But that's shallow... And it's good for us to look at the real world as it really is. Because the real world is filled with pain. It's filled with brokenness. The real world has child abuse. The real world has human trafficking. The real world has natural disasters. The real world has divorce. It has government corruption. 
It has lawlessness. It has murder. It has military conflict. Some of you may be here this morning because you feel the shallowness of what this world has to offer. You look around at this world, at the pain and the suffering, at the injustice and the abuse, and even at the best things in this world, you think there, there has to be a better way. There has to be something more than what this world has to offer. How many athletes, I, I love the NBA, right? I love the NBA. It takes us about a day and a half to move from talking about the people who won the championship to who's going to win the championship next year. Which athlete wins the championship and says, you know what, that was exactly what I was living for. It was enough. They're dissatisfied. They want it again. They want it next year. They've done what their career provides as the highest a compliment, and it's not enough for them. How many relationships start off with passion and with pleasure and end with brokenness and with heartache? How many meals have been tasted and enjoyed and yet we still get hungry? And they're never as good the second time or the third time or the fourth time. We gorge ourselves on entertainment, but it's never enough. Church, this world will leave you disappointed. And if you're seeking for satisfaction, if you're seeking for meaning and for purpose, if you're seeking for joy, it can only be found in the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis, a Christian writer in the 1950s, he said, If I find in myself a desire, a longing, that nothing in this world can satisfy, then I must only conclude that I was made for another world. That I wasn't made for this world. That there is another world that will meet this longing. And I can tell you, church, that that longing is met in Jesus. Jesus is the presence of God's joy come to earth. The kingdom of God is all about a person. It's about Jesus Christ who came and he lived the life that we can't live. You can try to obey God every single day. And at the end of the day, you'll look back. And on your best days, there will be hundreds of instances when you have disobeyed in your thoughts, in your heart, in your words, in your actions. That's on your best day. You can't stand before God and say, I am righteous in and of myself. And that unrighteousness will lead to suffering. You will find yourself outside the kingdom unless... Unless you turn to the one who suffered for you. As Jesus stood before Pilate, we read this earlier in John 18, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my citizens would fight for me. He shows us what sort of kingdom his kingdom is. It's a kingdom where the king comes and dies for you. It's a kingdom where the king, rather than fights for his freedom or call down angels to destroy everyone, he goes to the cross suffers and dies like a criminal in order to pay for the sins that we deserve. Not one of us belongs in the kingdom of God naturally. But Jesus comes and he takes hell for us so that we can have heaven 
with him. Jesus died in our place and he rose from the dead. And if we would but turn and trust him, we would find that God's kingdom has come in our lives. That the joy that we experience now is only a small kernel that will one day give forth to a flower. That the whole loaf will be leavened. That the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That all of our longing and all of our happiness will be exceeded in God. If you would just turn to Jesus and trust Him, the kingdom is yours. And once you've done that, once you see the brokenness of this world and you long for God's kingdom to come, there are a number of ways that we can pray for God's kingdom to come. The first is that we pray for the advance of the gospel among the nations. There are peoples in this world who have no access to the good news that I just said. They don't know that they have a king who dies in their place. And they don't know how to become kingdom citizens. And so we should pray. We should pray for God to raise up people to take the gospel to these nations. We should pray that some of us maybe would even leave the UAE in order to go to places where the gospel is not named. Or that we would build relationships with people here in the UAE who don't know about Jesus and through our love and through our words that we would make him known. We should pray for all peoples. In every country there are people who need to know the gospel. And so we should pray that every individual in this world, that every country in this world would have a witness. But there's also a few specific ways that we can pray, or a few specific resources that we can pray. I'm going to mention four of them. One is called the Joshua Project. Does anyone know the Joshua Project? So Joshua Project is a website that people put together and they look for the people groups, not the countries, but tribes of people who have less than 2% Christian representation. These are people who they probably will live their entire lives without interacting with a Christian. And it allows for us to pray that God would send Christians there. So you can go and there's a people group of the day and every day you can check it. There's an app that you can get for your phone and you can pray for a particular people group that God would save them, that he would start churches and that one day they would be with us in heaven. The Joshua Project. Another one is a book and now it's a website also called Operation World. Have you ever heard of Operation World? Operation World is a great resource. It doesn't look at people groups, it looks at countries. And it has prayer statistics and information and ways to pray about every country of the world. You can take it, what I often did, I don't have a physical copy with me anymore, I left it in America, but what I often did is I would keep Operation World with my Bible, and in the morning I'd grab both and I'd sit down and I would open my Bible and I'd read and then I'd open Operation World and pray for a country. For families, Operation World, especially parents here, Operation World has put together a great resource. I wish I would have thought to put a picture. It's called Window to the World. Window to the World. Um, I think they may even sell it at the bookshop here. They may not, or we may be able to try and get some. But it uses the data from Operation World, and it's made for kids to get exposed to other cultures and other peoples, and it's a way that we as families can pray for these nations. And then finally, our church puts together every 
year about a prayer guide. You can pick one up in the back at the connection table. And we have different countries that we pray for, different churches that we prayed for. Ajith prayed for Grace Church in Abu Dhabi. They're not our church. We pray that God's kingdom would come through Grace Church in Abu Dhabi. Last week, Sonny prayed for Ethiopia. Right? We pray for a nation every single week in our service. We send that out in our newsletter. And you can get that in the prayer guide in the back. All of these are resources to help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. To get our eyes off of our own situation. And to see the nations. And to see this world. And to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. First, we should pray for the advance of the gospel among the nations. But second... We should also pray for our own holiness and for the ability in our own hearts to fight sin. All of us by nature are rebels against God. And we still bring our rebellious tendencies into our walk with the Lord. And so we should pray that we would bring every bit of us into submission to Christ. God does not have partial citizens. He demands our all. And our concern for the kingdom to spread should start first and foremost in our own lives. What do we watch? What do we eat? What do we drink? What do we do with our bodies? What do we say with our mouths? We want to bring every bit of us into submission to our king. The gospel of the kingdom takes root in our hearts and brings forth the fruit of holiness. The same grace that saves us sanctifies us. And so we should pray for more grace, that God would make us holy. And then third, we should pray for justice and righteousness in this world. There is brokenness in this world. We should pray that God would fix it. Earthly pain and earthly suffering should leave us longing for a heavenly kingdom, but it should also leave us wanting to help while we are here on earth that we can step into the darkness, step into the hurting, step into the brokenness and be agents of light so that others would see our good deeds and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And here's the thing. Some of you know this through praying. When you pray about things faithfully and regularly, often you're going to be thinking about those things throughout the day. And so when you pray for God to make you holy, and an opportunity, a temptation for sin comes up, you're going to want to fight it. When you pray for God to advance the gospel among the nations, and an opportunity comes up for you to speak the gospel, you're going to want to speak. When you pray for God to help the hurting, and an opportunity comes up for you to help, you're going to want to do it. As God's transferred people, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, and transformed people, made new through the Holy Spirit in Christ, we participate in God bringing the kingdom through our prayers, through our preaching, and through being lights for the gospel so that we can give a defense for the hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray.